You know, there are times when someone new comes into a situation and they come in with a new perspective and a, a different set of life experiences. And because of that, they end up introducing new solutions to, to old problems. They, they bring improvements to traditional ways. They, they shake up the status quo. They, they challenge us to rethink our settled way of doing things. You know, I, I think that's what it was like when, when Jesus showed up there amongst the Jews of Galilee and Judea. They had a very settled way of doing things. They had their tradition, especially when it came to worshiping God. They were set on what was right and what was wrong, uh, what God approved of and what he did not. And, and for good reason, they had God's word. God himself had spoken. He had told them how it was that they should live their lives in a way that would honor him. <laughs> but in those areas where God had been silent, they stayed busy. They filled in the, the empty spaces with their own rules, with their own traditions. The problem was they seemed to have lost track. Uh, they, they lost track of where God's law ended and their traditions began. They seem to have forgotten that their rules did not carry the same weight as God's law. And then Jesus came. <laughs> Jesus came, and, and though he kept God's law perfectly, at times he completely disregarded their rules and traditions. And oh man, did that irritate them. They did not like that at all. In fact, even worse, he would point out at times the ways that their traditions, their ways of doing things actually contradicted God's ways. Well, let's take a look at, at all of this for ourselves. Find in your Bibles Luke chapter 6, and we're going to take a look at the first 11 verses this morning. So will you do this? When you found Luke chapter 6, stand We'll stand for the reading of God's word. I'll read, and I invite you to follow along. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry, how he entered the house of God and took and ate some of the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts. He told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. 
So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he told them, stretch out your hand. And he did. And his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that you've given us, and thank you for your presence here with us. Father, we ask that this morning you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that we would gain more than knowledge of your word, but your word would impact us. God, that we would be changed by what it is that you have spoken. Teach us by the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Let's remember the context, the setting of what it is that we've just read. Jesus has been teaching and healing in the villages of Galilee, and the people, they are coming to hear him and to be healed by him. Large crowds are coming from all over Galilee, even from as far away as Judea, a day or two's journey to the south. Even the religious leaders, even the religious leaders are coming to hear Jesus, but they're coming not to learn. They're coming in order to build a case against him. You see, they don't like Jesus. And as we'll see later, they don't like him because, well, they want to be in charge. And Jesus claims to be God in human flesh. And well, let, let's just be honest here. When God's in the room, you don't get to be in charge. And so they, they see that if Jesus is God, then they don't get to have the authority that they so crave. So the religious leaders, firmly entrenched in their traditions and rules, they stood in opposition to Jesus. They were looking for ways to invalidate or to throw doubt upon his claim of being God in human flesh. And so they spent their time watching, watching Jesus and watching his disciples, uh, looking for any way that they might accuse them of any sort of failure or shortcoming, anything that might invalidate his claim, his identity of being Emmanuel, of being God with us. So we pick up here in verse 1. That on a Sabbath, he, that is Jesus and his disciples, were passing through the grain fields and his disciples were picking heads of grain. They were just grabbing handfuls of grain from the field and they were rubbing them with their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So understand this, there is nothing in the Old Testament law that specifically forbade what the disciples were doing. In fact, in fact, in Deuteronomy 23, there's this weird law that, that actually gives specific permission to do exactly what they were doing. 
If you're walking through a neighbor's grain field, you are allowed to grab a handful of grain and rub it together to get the, the outer husk off and pop it in your mouth and eat it. The law actually allowed that. Oh, but you see, the problem here is that it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. It's that, that day of rest from Friday night until Saturday night. And on the Sabbath, you are to do no work. And the religious leaders had decided, they had decided, that grabbing a handful of grain, well, that was harvesting. And rubbing it in your hands, well, that was threshing. And blowing off the chaff, that was winnowing. And so if you were doing this, then according to the religious leaders, you were working. And you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Now, the religious leaders, I honestly think that they began by merely wanting to clarify the law to make sure that, that they could know and that the people could know what it is that they should do and what it is that they shouldn't do. And they just wanted to make it easier for themselves and for the people to live lives that were pleasing to God. But before long, as it always does, it progressed from explaining God's law to expanding upon God's law. Instead of helping others to understand what it was that God had said, they were now adding to what it was that God had said. Something that God had very clearly warned them not to do. Remember that? Deuteronomy chapter 4 there, verse 2. God himself said, you must not add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it. And yet, that is exactly what they did. That is always what happens when you misunderstand what the law is for. If you misunderstand what it is that God's law is for, you will always end up adding to it. You see, God gave us his law, as Galatians chapter 3 explains to us, to be our guardian or our tutor until Christ, so that we could then be justified by faith. God gave us his law to show us our sin. He gave us the law to show us our sin, to show us that we need a savior so that we would turn to Jesus. So we would turn to Jesus and receive the grace and mercy that he offers us. But man often misunderstands the purpose of the law. Man often misunderstands and tries to use the law to control people. Something that, quite honestly, the law just can't do. I mean, if you've had kids, you know this is true. The law cannot control someone. The religious leaders used the law to build a, a, a religious barricade, an obstacle course of rules and regulations and mandatory traditions, a set of barriers and hurdles that no one could successfully navigate. They turned walking with God into a grueling contest of endurance when it was supposed to be a challenging, yes, but rewarding journey through life. 
that was surrounded by God's goodness and grace and empowered by the work of his spirit within us. You and I, we've got to remember. We've got to remember that God's way isn't controlling people. It's transforming them. It's not controlling them, it's transforming them. Here, remember, back in Ezekiel, God said that his plan was this, he was gonna give us a new heart and he was gonna put a new spirit within us. It isn't about building a fence around us, but it's about changing us within. It's taking those who want to be saved and changing their hearts and their minds through their willing submission to him. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees thought it was all about rules to control people. And so the Pharisees had many rules. They had many rules to try to control people. Rules that Jesus felt, well, absolutely no compulsion to obey. Nor did he feel that he needed to ask his disciples to follow them. Now, Jesus doesn't argue with the Pharisees about the validity of their particular rules about work on the Sabbath. Um, instead, he takes them deeper and he begins to address two core issues, two core issues that, that, that touch upon God himself, his heart towards man and his incarnation. Look at, look at verse three. Jesus answered them, Okay, they have complained that the disciples are working on the Sabbath, and here's Jesus' answer. He says, haven't you read what David did? Those who were with him, when they were hungry, how he entered into the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. And Jesus' point here is he did all this without being condemned by God. Now, certainly, these religious leaders, these rabbis, these teachers of God's law, not only had they read about what David had done, they certainly could have told the story themselves from memory. But you know, here's what Jesus is saying to them. It is possible for us to read the Bible. It is possible for us even to know the Bible, to know it inside and out. It is possible for us to be able to quote it, to understand its languages and its context, and yet to completely miss its meaning. How does that work? How does that work? How is it that, that we can know so much and yet miss its meaning? Well, I think the key is in how we approach God's word. How we approach it. Here's what I mean. We can either submit ourselves to Scripture or we will submit Scripture to our thinking. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. If we do not submit ourselves to what Scripture clearly says, we end up submitting Scripture to what we think. James 1.21 reminds us that, that one of those ways is right and one of them is wrong. James says this, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James says this, you're not bigger than God's word. 
This isn't about what you think about God's word. This is about what God's word says. We are to submit ourselves to the word of God, to humbly receive it. Why? Because it's able to save us. Oh, James could add, and to transform us, to change us from within. We are to submit ourselves to God's word. We've got to come to scripture seeking to discover what God's word says to us, not merely searching for that which supports our ideas. But we can be guilty of that, can't we? I really feel strongly about this issue or about this perspective, and so I will search through God's word to find those things that I think might buttress or support my ideas. But I completely ignore those passages that speak contrary to what I think. You know, one way to think about this is to ask yourself this. Which carries greater weight with you? What the Bible says or what you think about it? Which impacts you more? What the Bible clearly says or what you think about what it says? Are there passages of Scripture that we blow off, that we ignore, that, that we just decide, well, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm just going to ignore that. Oh, we can't do that. Not if we humbly submit ourselves to God's word. David. The short version of what happened with King David was that after he had been anointed by the prophet Samuel, but before he was actually king, he and his men were, were fleeing from King Saul. King Saul, who had rebelled against God and who was seeking to kill David, well, needing food, among other things, David turns to the priest. And the priest gives David what he has, the special bread that was to be only eaten by the priest. As, as Leviticus chapter 24 makes it clear, it belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place. This is not bread that is just to be eaten by anyone for a snack for any reason. No, this is, this is something that has been presented to God. And yet David, David took it and he ate it. He even gave some of it to his men. And it's a clear violation of God's law. Jesus even says that it's a clear violation of God's law. And yet God does not condemn him. And here Jesus points the religious leaders to what David did. And he points them to it in the context of his own disciples being hungry and so on the Sabbath, picking, dehusking, and eating handfuls of grain. This too, Jesus infers, it's okay. It's okay. And yet, most certainly, rules and rituals are, are, are well, the message here is not that if you are hungry, you can basically do whatever you want. David was hungry, so he broke God's law, and it was okay. The disciples were hungry, they worked on the Sabbath, so it was okay. No, that's not the message here. It isn't that God just doesn't care that it's all good, no. And yet, very clearly here, the rules and rituals are not God's highest value. He is more interested in our hearts and in our minds 
than he is in sacrifices or rituals. We see that all through scripture. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New. Hosea chapter six, God says so boldly, I desire faithful love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You know, I think it's what Jesus points out in verse five that is, it's really the key point in understanding how it is that, that it's okay for David to have done what he did and it's okay for the disciples to have done what they did. Jesus tells the Pharisees, his concluding point is this, the son of the man, the son of man, that's him, is the Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying here is that really what this is all about is his authority. David did what he did as the Lord's anointed, as God's man, and Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who rules over it. You know, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, there in verses 15 and 16, Paul gives us a description of Jesus that it would be good for us to keep in mind. He says this, he said, the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal power. Speaking of God the Father, speaking of the Trinity, the triune God, that he is the one who is the Lord over all. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He, Jesus, is the one who has all power and all authority. And the Sabbath is in his honor. And so he rules over it. It does not rule over him. Verse 6, on another Sabbath. Another Sabbath, the next week maybe, or maybe it was several weeks down the road, we don't know. But on another Sabbath, Jesus enters a synagogue. So he's there for that, that time of worship, that time in God's word, and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. Now, stop and think for a moment about where their hearts were at. These religious leaders were watching this poor man without really seeing him. They didn't see his hurt. They didn't consider his pain. They only saw him as a test case, really, as a trap for Jesus. They were singularly focused on whether or not Jesus would follow their rule if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, miraculous healing isn't listed anywhere, certainly not in Scripture, uh, nor in the religious leaders' rules as being forbidden on the Sabbath. Okay, the Bible didn't have a, a rule against it. Even they didn't have a rule against it. But that did not stop them from deciding that if Jesus did it, it had to be wrong. You know, if Jesus did a miracle on the Sabbath, then it must be work and it wasn't okay. You know, their lack of compassion is sad. 
their lack of comprehension that, that if someone was healed, that it was God who was doing a work, that's amazing. They've lost all perspective. They are blinded by their, their hatred of Jesus. They, they can't see their own lovelessness. They can't see their own bias. And it's easy to get there, isn't it? It's easy to get to that place where we look at someone, it doesn't matter what they do, we're going to look at it in a bad light. When they do it, they do it from lousy motives. When I do it, it's just an accident. They meant to do it, right? You know, we get to that place where, man, everything, everything we see, it goes through this, this desire we have to, to shut down. Well, Jesus, Jesus comes to a place understanding where they were at and just being done. Just being done. I can almost hear disgust in his voice. Look at verse 8. He knew their thoughts, and he told the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand here. So he got up and he stood there, and Jesus looked at them. He said, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? You guys are, you're so full of rules about the Sabbath. You've got so many things you can't do. Well, tell me this. Can you do good on the Sabbath? Is there anything that you can do on the Sabbath? Or should you just do evil? Maybe you can't do good on the Sabbath. Maybe we should just do evil on the Sabbath. Jesus is done with these guys in this. In this. He says, can you save life or destroy it? Now, obviously, it's always right to do good. It's to save a life any and every day. And it's always wrong to do evil. It doesn't matter what day it is. Healing this man would always be good. And so Jesus does. Jesus does. Verse 10, after looking around at them all, he told them, stretch out your hand. And he did, and his hand was restored. <laughs> they, however, were filled with rage. The, the, uh, literally, the language there, they were insane with anger. They lost it. They completely had a meltdown. And they started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. You know, this is crazy. It's just crazy. Jesus heals a man. God's power is displayed in an amazing way. Can you imagine this man reaches out his shriveled hand and before their very eyes, this hand that is twisted and broken becomes whole while they're watching. This man's body that is broken is healed. He's, he's given a new life, an amazing gift. And their response? Fury unreasonable rage. And as the other gospels make plain right then on the Sabbath, somehow this was legal to do on the Sabbath, they begin to plot Jesus's murder. You can't heal someone, but you can plot someone's murder. And it's all because Jesus is breaking all their rules. 
Remember back when he healed the paralyzed man who had been lowered through the roof? And Jesus claimed to have authority to forgive sin. Remember how Jesus ate a dinner with the tax collectors and sinners. Oh, even worse than that, he called one of them, Matthew, to become his disciple. You know, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these rule guys, they watched Jesus enjoying life eating and drinking in celebration of good things rather than worrying about the traditions of men. And that made them furious. To the point where even when he healed on the Sabbath, that, that wasn't okay. You see, Jesus would not be controlled by them. He would not follow their rules because that is not what life is for. That is not what walking with God is about. The God-honoring life isn't about perfectly keeping a set of rules. It's about being supernaturally transformed. Understand that, friends. It's about being so changed within that the rules become unnecessary. And not, not that we go out and we just do stuff. You know, hey, I'm going to go out and rob banks because I'm under grace, you know. I'm going to drive 90 down the road. And when they pull me over, I'm just going to say, but officer, I'm under grace. I don't think it'll work. Not that I've tried it. It's not about rules. It's about transformation. It's about being changed within. It's about receiving from God a new heart and his spirit within us so that we are not ruled by rules, but we are ruled by love and by God's Holy Spirit that reigns within us. Dear friends, do you know Christian morality? Great. Do you know the Savior? Those are two different things. Oh, they're both good. It's good to live a moral life. It will be greatly to your benefit. But do you know the Savior? And is he doing a transforming work within you? Living a God-honoring life, living a life of pursuit of the Lord, it isn't about following rules. It's about being changed, being transformed within. It's about a relationship with the God who created us. Oh, let's, let's be people who draw close to him, who invite his transforming work within our lives on a daily basis. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And God, I ask that you would do a work within us this morning. God, I pray that we would not be people who, who are focused upon the rules, who are focused upon control, but rather that we would become people who are focused on transformation. God, we would be looking to you and longing for you 
to work within our lives, to indwell us with your Holy Spirit, to give us a new heart that is tender to you, that desires to honor you. God, that we would do what we do, not because we're following the rules, but because we love our Savior. God, that we would be transformed within. And because of that interchange, there would also come great outward change. That our lives would be new that our witness to this dying world would be powerful and our joy would be full. Work that in us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.